Good morning. Isn't it great to be here and worship God with his people today? I'm so excited to be with you. Um, my name is Bruce, and I have been totally forgiven of my sins through Jesus. Isn't that great? That's the gospel that we're here celebrating. And I want to thank Spencer for this opportunity to um, share from the old man's perspective the book of Ecclesiastes. It's been a challenging book for me. I've read Ecclesiastes many times through my life. But this time, we really dug into it. And it's um, a book that I would probably describe at the same time as challenging and confusing. Anybody identify that with your study of Ecclesiastes? Challenging and confusing. But I understand that. Um, see if we got here, if I'm doing right. Ooh, oops, sorry. I understand that context is really important when we come to understand the Word of God or in any form of communication. For example, um, in Mozambique, if you're to take, to get at the end of the line for whatever line you're at, they tell you to go get the animal by the tail. That means go to the end of the line. So if you're in Mozambique and you're trying to do something and they're wanting to tell you to get in line, they'll say, go get the animal by the tail. And only context and only cultural context will help you understand what that truly means. One day I was at the store and my wife, Neji, wanted me to pick up some um, string, a special string that they only had at Tractor Supply for knitting. So I went to Tractor Supply, which is a great place for men to go, and I was looking at the strings, the cords they had there, and, and I noticed that they had two different sizes of the one that she told me to pick up. So she was at work, but occasionally I can text her at work, so I texted her with a picture of both uh, spools of cord. And I said, which one do you want me to get? Well, she was busy at work, so I didn't get either one. I just went home. So when she got home uh, from work, she said, did you get my cord? And I said, no, because I couldn't figure out which one to get. And then she said, if you would have thought like me. And I stopped her right there. I said, whoa, stop the train. There is no way I am ever going to think like you. First of all, you're a woman, I'm a man. And secondly, you're a Brazilian and I'm American. There's not a chance on this earth at all that I'm going to think like you. So guys and girls, as you're trying to communicate in your marriage, understand that context is really, and point of reference is really important. So I really want us to look at uh, the Song of Solomon and try to understand the context in which that is written. Now understand, and I've been told that Solomon wrote the Song of Solomon as a young king. And as you read through the Solom Song of Solomon, which I call the X-rated book in the Bible, you'll understand why he wrote that as a young king. Proverbs he wrote as a more mature king as he had gone through some of his life. And then the book of Ecclesiastes, he wrote toward the end of his life. So I want us to understand that Solomon became the king of Israel at the height of Israel's prosperity and glory, much of which had been brought about by um, his, his father, David. Uh, David could not build the temple because he was a military man. And so God told David to have his son Solomon build the temple. And he did. And my, what a temple he built. As you read there about what was in that temple, 
I'm saying tons of gold. I mean tons of gold. I, I can't even wrap my mind around tons of gold. We sell gold by the ounce. Tons of gold went into that temple. Silver. Wood that had been imported. He had ships bringing wood in from other parts of the the known world to build. What a majestic temple that Solomon built for the presence of the Lord. And then his prayer of dedication. I'm always encouraged when I read his prayer of dedication. What a prayer of dependence upon God, calling the people to make sure they are all obedient to God and, and will follow in God's ways. Solomon in the beginning seemed to have it all put together in understanding. And then he, he asked for wisdom as a king because he had to deal with all these issues that the people were going through. And God granted him a great deal of wisdom. But let's read a couple of verses here this morning. First Kings 11, 1 and 2. And it says this, now in the NIV it says, however, that Hebrew word there, it, it means that, in, that idea. However, and I want you to know that however is not a good word to say about anybody. He lived a good life, however. However, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, the Moab, uh, he had a Moabite wife, an Ammonite wife, an Edomite wife, a Sidonian, a Hittite, from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them, neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. Now look at this, verses 3 and 4. Solomon had 700 wives. Do I need say any more? This man was confused. How in the world could somebody that had all this wisdom from God come up with 700 wives? Now understand that this was probably more a political move than it was a, a romantic move because Solomon decided that if he had these kind of alliances with all these different nations, he would control them through the wives that he married. Little did Solomon understand the nature of women. And then he had 300 concubines. But look what it says next. And his wives turned away, what? His heart. That's the most serious thing. For when Solomon was old, and that's when he wrote Ecclesiastes, when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not only true, was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. Confused in the midst of all of this wisdom. Now we have to understand this about Solomon's wisdom. It was human wisdom. It wasn't divine wisdom. And so we have to give him a little break for that. He didn't have total wisdom. He had a great deal of wisdom. Now look what it says here in verses 9 through 11. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord commanded. At the end of his life, after he had all this wealth and riches and fame, he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, since this has been your practice, and you have not kept my covenant and my statutes that I've commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you and will give it to your servant. That is the content, that, or the context 
that I believe that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. So now as an old king, because God did not immediately tear the kingdom away from him, because of God's love for his father David, he allowed Solomon to stay on the throne until his death. But then the kingdom was divided. So Solomon writes this book of Ecclesiastes, and I have to give credit to uh, Jessica Becker for this phrase, but I love it. He writes it from retrospective clarity. When you're 75 years old, as I am, you can speak from retrospective clarity. In fact, if you want to hang around with me a, a lot, I will spend a lot of time in retrospection because that's what 75-year-old people do. But the thing about Solomon here is he speaks from retrospective clarity. As he comes to the end of his life, he reflects on how he had fallen astray from the original plan of God for his life. When, when, when you get old, you have a better understanding of life. I say this to young people here. As we grow older, we have a better understanding. We come toward life with a better retrospective clarity, probably than any young person can. Now, our bodies fall apart. But in most cases, our mind stays pretty good intact. I remember uh, Jim, Jim Long. I'd see Jim Long on Sunday morning here at Redstone, and I'd say, hey, Jim, you look pretty good. He says, yeah, on the outside I look good, but inside I'm falling all apart. That's me too. And some days I don't even know if I look good on the outside. But here we are. Uh, I don't know if any of you ever saw the old red-green show that was on Canadian television. And he had a saying that went something like this. If your wife doesn't find you handsome, she better find you useful. So that's what I want to do as I get older. I have to be more useful to, to my wife. Retrospective clarity. So Solomon comes to the end of his life, and he's trying to get this all figured out. I had three books up here, I'm just telling you. And one disappeared. Oh, there it is, on the floor. Bear with me. I want you to read with me. It's not in your bulletin, but if you have this little book or your Bibles, let's open to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is written by Solomon. This, this first section at least. And now he is old. He's all these things we saw about. He understands that he has lost that, that original relationship that he had with God. He understands that God is punishing him for his disobedience. And so he writes from that perspective. And so the first thing he says to all of us is remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men are bent and the grinders cease because they are few and those who look through the windows are dimmed and the doors on the street are shut. When the sound of the grinding is low, and one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters of song are brought low, they are afraid also of what is high, and terrors are in the way. The almond tree blossoms, the grasshopper drives, drags itself along, and desire fails, because man is going to his eternal home, and the mourners go about the streets. Before the silver cord is snapped, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain, 
or the wheel broken at the cistern and the dust returns to the earth as it was and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity, says the preacher. Kind of a sad reflection on life, isn't it? So Solomon is now trying to get the message out. And I think I understand better the book of Ecclesiastes now because what Solomon is doing as he does this retrospective clarity, he is saying to us, it is really important that we get this one thing really right in our lives. And that is remember the Creator in the days of your youth. In actuality, as we reflect on Solomon's life, we would say remember your Creator not only when you're young, but in your middle age, and when you get old, make sure you don't forget your Creator. And that's really important. Because Solomon is speaking from his own life experience. And he is saying in the midst of all the things in this world that get all messed up, and as you read through the book of Ecclesiastes, you see the many things that can really distract us and really get us off target and really get us detoured from that which God has designed for our lives. And Solomon says in the midst of all that, because what will happen one day, you will get old. And when you get old, all these things he writes here in chapter 12 are happening. Your eyes don't see as well. Your ears don't hear as well. Not even your feet have the strength they need. There are aches and pains and there. And, and, and life is the pits. Unless you remember God. Unless you remember the plan and the purpose that God has for your life. But as Solomon says here, it is so easy for us to get distracted. Solomon had it all. He was the wealthiest man who ever lived and this led to his downfall. Just as Jesus said here in Matthew 19.23. Truly I say to you, it is only with great difficulty that a rich person will enter into heaven. Do you hear that? Do you know compared to the whole rest of the world, we are all rich here this morning? But it's difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Solomon was known as the wisest man who ever lived on this earth. And he truly was when the queen of Sheba went to visit Solomon. She said that he was even wiser than what she had heard about him. But he also confesses that all this human wisdom that he had without God is meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. This is Solomon's retrospective clarity. Do not, my friend, let the however that was said of Solomon be said of your life. Have you ever been lost? How many of you have ever been lost traveling or in the woods? Yeah, you understand. One time, Neji and I went to Guinea-Bissau. We went there to teach at a seminary. And uh, on Sunday, we were going to, it was a holiday, and we were going to meet the, the people uh, of the church out at the beach. They had spent Saturday night at the beach, and we were going Sunday morning with the food to meet them. And so we went on this regular paved road, then we went on a dirt road, and then we went into the woods. And in the woods, there were only two tire tracks that we followed. And everything went well until we came to a fork in the road. No signs, no indications which way to turn or anything. And I looked at our missionary friend Luciano who was driving to see if he knew where he was going. Later on he confessed he didn't know. He just prayed and he made a decision and went. We came to another fork in the road 
And fortunately, God took care of us and brought us to the beach. But can you imagine if we had taken one wrong turn? We might still be wandering around through the jungles of Guinea-Bissau trying to figure out how to get out of there. And we didn't have a compass. Compasses have an orientation point called true north. It is defined as your fixed point in a spinning world. I like that phrase. And I think it has a lot of spiritual significance. A compass is your fixed point in a spinning world. What Solomon is trying to show us is how the world we live in is all screwed up and so are we. Because of sin. Because of Satan. Because of temptation. He is saying that if we don't have God as the true orientation point of our lives, we will easily be swallowed up by all these distractions that are all around us. Things that he fell into. Things like wisdom, things like wealth, things like work and pleasure and fame, and yes, even careless worship. Now, we understand that none of these things in and of themselves are wrong. He has already told us that God gives gifts some people to be wealthy. God gifts some people to have faith. God gifts some people to be wise, to have the gift of knowledge. Those things are not wrong in and of themselves. It, where they become wrong, as was in the case of Solomon, is when they become our true north focus in our lives, when they distract us, when they take our attention away from God, when they become the end of what we are going after. I want to say something to you this morning. And that is that the American dream is not a godly dream. It takes our focus away from the God who made us and has designed us and has given us a purpose in life. But the American dream is all about prosperity and wealth and getting ahead and doing what you ever, ever can, doing whatever you need to do to get on the top. That is not God's plan. And that is not what Jesus came to do. Jesus said the Son of Man has come to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So much distraction all around us every day. And what Solomon is trying to teach us is we have to make sure, and it begins at our youth, that we have the true uh, point, the true north that God is the true north in our lives. When we lose sight of God as the only true north in our lives, marriages are broken, families are torn apart, and our lives become misdirected without really real purpose leading to depression and suicide. Do you see it around you? Now I know that old people, they like to sit down and talk about the past. Because that's what they've lived. And sometimes I fall into that too. But I will say to you, I love being around young people. I love being around young people, uh, young couples. I don't enjoy spending a lot of time with old people. Sorry. I mean, I don't want to get caught up into that past. But I want to say something to you today. The Bible says that as we get closer to the time of the return of Jesus, things are going to become more difficult. And I see that happening around us. Many men are caught up in pornography. Even men in the church. And I'll confess before you today that if it would have been as available to me when I was a young person as it is to you today, I'm sure I would have been addicted to it as well. 
I mean, there are advertisements on TV from, maybe I shouldn't say from where, but you know, this place where women buy all their stuff. There's advertisements on TV that when I was a kid would have been considered pornography. Times are changing. And it's becoming increasingly important that we make sure we know where our true north focus is. That we know the, the, the teachings of God, what God has for us. Otherwise, we will be swallowed up by all of these things. And perhaps the most destructive of all of these distractions would be careless worship. And, and he talked about it in the first several verses of chapter 5. And he starts it out by saying this, Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. On some of our missionary travels, Nadja and I have made connections in, in London, England. And they have those motorized walkways like we have here. And when you get to the end of it, there's this voice saying constantly, Mind your step, mind your step, mind your step. And that is so that you don't get your heel or your shoe or your clothes caught at the end of that runway and you step off at it at a normal way. If not, you fall on your face, you tear your pants off, you lose your shoe or whatever. So that old, that old lady, no, it's a young lady saying, mind your step, mind your step, mind your step. I want to say to you this morning, when you come here on Sunday morning, Mind your step. Because we are coming into the presence of the Lord God Almighty. And He deserves the very best of our efforts and adoration for who He is and what He has done in our lives. And when I think about what God has done for me, how this Lord God Almighty, the creator of heavens and earth, loved me, much, loved me enough to send His Son to die on the cross to save me from my sins. I cannot just sit down. I cannot just take it for granted. I believe God made you and I for exuberant worship. God made you and I for expressive worship. And Nadia and I have seen that in Brazil. We've seen the Africans dancing out of joy. They have absolutely nothing. They don't have anything that you and I have, but they have exuberant joy in worshiping God. And I want to challenge us as Redstone Church as we have this opportunity to come before the Lord God Almighty that we do it with a truly grateful heart and we learn how to be exuberant in our worship. One thing I'll never understand is how we're exuberant at sports things, but when we come to the church, we have to say, A mighty fortress is our God. Where? Where? Where did we get that? I asked that to Nadia this morning at breakfast. I said, where in the world did that all come from? You know what her answer was? The English. And it's probably true. Because we were founded by the English and they wrote all the old hymns and, 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 and we started singing. Somehow we created a culture that says in church we don't get excited. When you think of what God did for you, my friend, on the cross, why in the world wouldn't you get excited? Or at least, and I understand this, maybe you're not one of those exuberant people. Maybe you're not one of those excitable people. There are some people at the football game that still sit quietly in their seat when the touchdown is made. If you're one of those people, I'm not saying you have to jump up, you have to holler, you say hallelujah. But I want to say this. Let's not let tradition and maybe what some other people are doing hinder us 
from really opening up and telling God how much we love him and we are grateful to him on Sunday morning. Can I hear an amen for that? And Solomon said, this is a real thing. I, I want to say this too. Because I'm 75 years old and I can say whatever I want, you know, because if you kick me out, that's all right. If you come here on Sunday morning out of tradition, you come to Sunday morning in a nonchalant way, if you come here on Sunday morning and you don't really get involved in what God is doing, it is meaningless. You might just as well be a holy roller, roll over in your bed and go back to sleep. It's meaningless. Our God did not save us to be nonchalant in our expression of gratitude to Him. And then thirdly, He ends this whole section here with these three phrases. Let's read the last part, verses 9 through 14. Besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Some think that this, these last verses here were written by somebody other than Solomon because it's in the third person. But the things that are said in these verses, Solomon has said throughout the book, so if he's reflecting in the third person, it also makes sense to me. The words of the wise are like goads. Goads. If you don't know what a goad is, uh, put taser in there. The words of the wise are like tasers and like nails firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Who's the one shepherd? God, right? My son, be aware of anything beyond these. Of making many books, there is no end and much study is a weirdness of the flesh. The end of the matter. All has been here. Now here's the most important respect of clarity that Solomon gives us. Fear God. Keep His commands. For this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment. And with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Before the people of Israel were to enter into the promised land, God said this through his servant Moses. Open up your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is the people of Israel. God has prepared them to go into the promised land. And God speaks through his servant Moses and he says these, this. These are the commands, decrees. This is Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 6. And laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all His decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase gently in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God your fathers of your fathers promised you. Hear, O Israel. Hear, O Redstone. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commands that I give you today are to be upon your what? What? Heart. So in the end, Solomon says, Fear God. Obey His commands. For we will be judged. And Deuteronomy 6 brings two concepts of, of God together that we really need to grasp. And that is to love God and to fear God. The Bible says that God is love. 
It is who he is. In the Old Testament, he is the God Hesed, loving kindness, the God of mercy. But he is also a God of justice. I want you to read one other section of Scripture with me this morning. And this is from the New Testament in the book of Hebrews. Turn to the end of Hebrews chapter 12. Verses 18 through 21 and then verse 28. Moses is, he's talking about the writer of Hebrews. Paul is talking about Moses as he went up on Mount Sinai. Sinai. And it says about that experience, the sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, he says, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, the spirits of righteous men into perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Verse 25 says, See to it that you do not refuse him when he speaks. And then verse 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I want us to see the importance of bringing these two concepts together, of loving God and fearing God, of loving God and fearing God, of understanding God's mercy and grace and understanding God's justice. When Jesus prayed in John chapter 17, he said this, Now this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And that word know there means intimately know. Eternal life is knowing God in your heart. The problem with Solomon was a problem of his heart. The good thing about David was it was a a thing of his heart. And the thing that will lead you to not be distracted by all these things that Solomon mentions is in the book of Ecclesiastes is if you will take care of your heart. So the fear and the love of God, if we get that right, then we will obey His commands. The problem is, in the church often we want to try to get people to obey, but we don't want to take the time to deal with their heart. And what the Bible says here is that it's so important that your heart learns how to love God and your heart learns how to fear God because when you love God and you fear God, obedience will come out of that. But if we try to get people to obey, You have to read your Bible. You have to be here on Sunday morning. You have to pray. You have to give your tithes and offerings. And people learn how to do that. And their hearts are not right with God. It's meaningless. It's a chasing after the wind. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. The only thing God ever wanted with Adam and Eve and David and Solomon and the only thing He's wanting with you and me is a relationship that leads to life eternal. Obedience comes out of a relationship of a loving and just God. And then judgment is taken care of. You know why? Because God knows our heart. There's a proverb that Solomon wrote and it says, guard your heart. 
Take care of your heart. Watch your heart. Put Jesus in your heart. Put God in your heart. Fill your heart with God. And Jesus also said that if we obey his commands, it's an outward sign that God is in us and we are in him. So my friends, do not fall into the trap or just trying to obey, but get it right from the beginning, and that is take care of your heart. Put God in your heart. Put Jesus in your heart. Spend all kinds of time getting that straightened out because judgment will be taken care of then. Because God knows our heart. Let me end with this. <laughs> I always laugh when preachers say, let me in. Because that means we'll be done in 15 minutes. You know David. David was a man after God's heart. I think that's the big difference between David and Solomon. Solomon allowed those crazy women distract him from his true north. Now, I'm not speaking against women. Just guys, be careful. That's all I'm saying. Now, it's if you have a godly wife, thank God for her. And Solomon wrote that, didn't he? In Proverbs 31, he said, that's a great thing. And men, if you don't have a godly wife, you just need to spend more time praying for her. That's all I can say. Because that's how God changes and you women are here, if you don't have a godly husband, pray for him. And learn how to love him. And men, love your wives as Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. But listen to David in Psalm 103. What a contrast between David as he comes to the end of his life and Solomon. I don't want you to turn there because I'm going to read it from the message. I want you to just close your eyes and hear these words and let them sink in. This is the Psalm of David, Psalm 103. O oh, my soul, bless God. From head to toe, I'll bless His holy name. O oh, my soul, bless God. Don't forget a single blessing. He forgives your sins, everyone. He heals your diseases, everyone. He redeems you from hell, saves your life. He crowns you with love and mercy, a paradise crown. He wraps you in goodness, beauty eternal. He renews your youth. You're always young in His presence. God makes everything come out right. He puts victims back on their feet. He showed Moses how He went about His work, opened up His plans to all Israel. God is sheer mercy and grace. Not easily angered, He's rich in love. He doesn't endlessly nag and scold nor hold grudges forever. He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve, nor pay us back in full for our wrongs. As high as the heavens is over the earth, so strong is His love to those who fear Him. As far as sunrise is from sunset, He has separated us from our sins. As parents feel for their children, God feels for those who fear Him. He knows us inside and out, keeps in mind that we're made of mud, Men and women don't live very long. That sounds like Solomon. It, like wildflowers, they spring up and blossom. But a storm snuffs them, snuffs them out just as quickly, leaving nothing to show they were here. God's love, though, is ever and always, eternally present to all who fear Him, making everything right for them and their children as they follow His covenant ways and remember to do whatever He said. God has set his throne in heaven. He rules over us all. He's the king. So bless God, you angels. Ready and able to fly at his bidding. Quick to hear and do what he says. Bless God, all you armies of angels. Alert to respond to whatever he wills. Bless God, all creatures, wherever you are. Everything and everyone made by God. And you, oh my soul. Bless God. What a difference. You know, the big difference as I see it 
between Solomon and David? The Bible at least relates in David's case a true heart of repentance. And as I read in the book of Kings about Solomon, I didn't see it. Maybe he did. I hope he did. God used Solomon to bring us many teachings, wise teachings, good teachings, true teachings. And maybe God put Ecclesiastes in the Bible because he wanted us to learn. Maybe it's alert. Maybe it's a warning to say, remember your creators in the days of your youth. Or maybe it's to teach us to remember to keep God throughout our lives as the key focus of who we are. True North. Here's how it's defined. Is derived from your most your most deeply held beliefs, values, and the principles you live by. It is your internal compass uniquely developed by you, representing who you are at your deepest level. I want to ask you this morning, who are you? At your very deepest level. Who are you? And how does God fit in to who you are at your very deepest level? There are two cards on your seat or near you this morning. I'd like all of you to take a card right now. And on that card, I want you to answer this question. Be honest with God this morning. Learn from Solomon. Hear what God is saying to us here today. And write on this card, what is hindering you from having God as the absolute true north of your life? There are two cards. I want all of us to write on one card. But if you'd like the community care team to pray for you, put the same thing on a second card and as you go to communion, Put that second card. There will be people there with baskets that you can put it in. Tomorrow the community care team will gather. We'll be praying for those who turn in cards. Then we'll distribute them to all the community care team. who will be praying for you throughout the whole month. And if you'd like somebody to come alongside of you. As you try to figure this out. And you try to get this right in your life then even put that on there. Put your telephone number, email, somebody will contact you. But I've got even a better plan than the community care team. Well, it's not really a better because it's a part of the plan, the community care team, and that is to pray for one another. So if you'd rather take the second card and give it to somebody you have a good relationship with and say, I need help with this, feel free to do that as well. I believe the Holy Spirit operates in this body. He is here. But God wants your heart right with Him this morning. And if God is speaking to you, take time before you participate in communion this morning to fill out that card. And I'm going to give you time to do that. I just want to bring to your remembrance what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 as he was talking about the Lord's Supper. And he said this, For I have received from the Lord that which I passed unto you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. Like the body of Jesus was broken for me and you on the cross. 
In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you do it in remembrance of me. The blood of Jesus shed to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now listen. Listen to what Paul says. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. So I'm going to give you a chance right now, some time, to examine yourself. And then write on your card, what is hindering? What are the obstacles? What are the distractions? that keep God in your life from becoming the real true north. The very deep inner reflections of who you are. And if you need help this morning, right now, Colin and Carly are back there to pray for you. But I encourage you, take this time Examine your heart. See how God fits into His overall plan for your life. Write down whatever hindrance or barrier you see in your life for keeping you from making God the absolute true north in your life. Let me pray for you. Father, you are God of heaven. You are Lord of all. Surely worthy of our adoration and praise and service. Thank you for loving us so much that Jesus came to the cross. And thank you for being patient with us. And Lord, teach us how to fear you the right way. Be with each one as we write down those hindrances now. Reveal them to us, Father. Reveal whatever distraction, whatever thing is keeping us from making you the absolute true north in our lives. And we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.